me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're actually going to be doing just a tiny bit of review because we have to look back just a little bit into chapter 13 to understand why what happens in chapter 14 is so significant. So, by way of review, not to go really long, but by way of review, last week we looked at 13 and we saw that what happened was that the Philistines, who were the enemies of the people of God, were the ones who had all the power. They were the ones who had uh, the ability to do blacksmithing, to forge their own iron tools, their swords, their axes, their their uh, whatever all else tools that they had. And it tells us in 13 that the people of Israel basically had sticks and stones. The only two people in all of Israel's army that had any iron weaponry were Jonathan, the son of the king, and Saul, the king. That's it. Everyone else was working with rocks and sticks and slings and brute force, whatever they could do to fight. And then, if you remember, when the Philistines came against the Israelites, Saul had called the Israelites to meet him, and they had, I don't remember how many thousand, but they had thousands. But then Samuel was delayed in coming, because remember, the, the time frame was seven days, and over the course of the seven days, the people of Israel started panicking and freaking out, and it said that some of them started hiding in caves, and some of them started literally abandoned and deserted and went across the Jordan River into the other area outside of the, the nation of Israel. And when it was all said and done, Saul made the mistake of choosing to offer the sacrifice when he had no authority to do it. And at that point, he only had 600 people left in his army. Everyone else had abandoned him. So that's where we're at right now. It is now chapter 14 of uh, 1 Samuel. And... um, It says one day, chapter 14, verse 1, one day, Jonathan, oh, I forgot to tell you, Jonathan, the son of Saul, this is a really cool thing. The name Jonathan means God has given. It's important to remember that. God has given. It also can mean gift of God, but either way, God has given. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, Let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the pomegranate cave at Megron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Now let's stop there. One of the things I didn't didn't refresh us on was the thousands upon thousands of Philistines that were over against um, the, the nation of Israel. They saw this dispersal that was going on, and so they sent out three groups, three garrisons of men to go and start tracking down these people. So not only did this throng of enemy stay where they were and camped where they were just beyond the reach of the Israelite army, um, but then they sent out these branches to go start capturing those who were outside of the area. So it's getting really, really dire. And it says that Jonathan sees this and says to his armor bearer, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. 
But he doesn't say anything to his father. And where was his father, this leader of the nation of Israel? Sitting under a pomegranate tree. Just sitting there. The people were about 600 men, including, and it lists the numbers of the different people. One of the things that's significant, read with me, it says, including Ahijah, the son of Ahidah, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. And if you remember, oh, he was wearing an ephod. So if you remember back when we first started this passage, this study of the book of First Samuel, Eli was the priest that Hannah and her husband uh, Elkanah came to the, the where the tabernacle was every year, and she, Eli thought she was drunk, but she was actually pouring her heart out to God. She was the mother of Samuel. And then Eli, when Samuel, the word of God came to Samuel, Eli was prophesied against that he and his sons, who were scoundrels, were going to die. Well, this guy who's wearing the ephod, the, the high priest's outfit, is one of the grandsons of Eli. Um, and verse 4, it says, within, excuse me, bear with me. Come on, you can do it. I'm sorry. There we go. Um, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other Senna. One crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, the other in the south in front of Geba. Now, those words don't mean a lot to me as I read them. And I did some studying trying to understand what this was. And I don't know that I can convey to you basically exactly what it was. But imagine, if you will, there's the Philistine army over here. There's the Israelite army over here. And between, there are these rocky outcroppings. It's not just a flat plain that they have to go across. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up and then climbing down and then climbing up. And then they have to climb down to go to the Philistines. And so, verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of, this, of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing, hear these words, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's what's on the screen in front of you. That's what had been on the screen in front of you all morning. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now think about this. This is, said, this is Jonathan. His name means God has given. He's the son of this really ineffective, self-centered not really deeply spiritual guy, but Jonathan's got it together when it comes to having faith and trust in the Lord. I mean, literally, for him to say, let's go and see what God will do. <laughs> because God can do anything. Nothing, nothing, nothing can hinder the Lord. It doesn't matter how many warriors there are. God can do this. And he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Excuse me. And his armor bearer said to him, verse 7, do all that's in your heart. 
Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, again, understand, Saul's armor bearer was his caretaker. He was the guy that was making sure that, I mean, not Saul, Jonathan's armor bearer. Jonathan, he was there, there to take care of Jonathan, to meet all of Jonathan's needs. He had weapons, but again, he didn't have a sword. He didn't have an axe because only Jonathan and Jonathan's father, King Saul, had those metal tools. So this armor bearer, he had sticks and rocks and his brute strength. But he's with Jonathan and he says to him, you go, I'll be right there with you. My heart, my soul, I'm with you. I'm right here. I'll do whatever it takes. Then verse 8, Jonathan said, behold... We will cross over to those men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, <laughs> then we will go up because that will be a sign to us that the Lord has given them into our hand. This will be a sign. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look. The Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. Because remember I told you, there had been thousands of people with, with Saul, and they started abandoning him and going literally hiding. They, were, they literally tucked their tails and they ran because they were so afraid. So what had been thousands was now down to just 600. And the, the Philistines were mocking the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. Look, these Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, yeah, come on up to us and we'll show you a thing. And I, I was like, show you a thing? What in the world is that? And I was reading some of the scripture. Basically what it's saying is like, come on up. We'll, we'll teach you a thing or two. Come on. Let's do this. Come on. You think you're so big? Come on. And the men of the garrison, I mean, and, and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So, <clears throat> Jonathan, who has full faith and trust in God, says to his armor bearer, let's go do something. I'm sick and tired of just sitting here. Let's go beat up on these uncircumcised Philistines. These people who think they're up against them. We got God on our side. Let's go. And he said, but let's not be stupid. Let's lay a fleece before God because we want to do what God wants us to do. So we'll show ourselves. And if they say, you stay right there, we'll come up to you. We'll stay right here because we know that God doesn't have us, doesn't want us to go down and fight. But if they tell us to come down to us, that will be the sign for us that God has indeed ordained this. And that God is going to go with us and that God's going to whoop some butt. That's what Jonathan is saying to his armor bearer. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer came after him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. Now, basically what's happening is this. Jonathan climbs up to where the Philistines are, and he begins fighting. One sword, maybe an axe in his hand, or maybe a shield, I don't know what. And basically, he's fighting one man at a time. And in my mind, what I imagine is Jonathan slashes 
the guy drops. Jonathan goes after the next guy, slashes. And while he's doing that, the armor bearer is back behind him going, boom, you're dead. Boom, you're dead. Now, what is the armor bearer doing? I don't know. Does he have rocks that he's hitting them on the head and bashing their skulls in? Is he literally coming up and snapping their necks? I don't know. All we know is what this says is that Jonathan slashes and the armor bearer kills. Or at least makes sure that they're dead. And it said, and at that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? Half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And again, as I was reading, I learned that um, what that's saying is the amount of ground that they covered was about the amount that a single yoke of oxen, two oxen, could cover in a day. Well, that helps, because I have that as a point of reference in my life. So I was looking, and I went online, and I was trying to read, getting an understanding of what this is. So I went to, I, I, one, of the, one of the scholars said, well, it's about a half an acre. I said, okay, that makes a little bit more sense to me, but I still don't know what a half an acre is. So I went online again, and it said, well, it's about half of the football field. Well, that's helpful because I played football. No, I didn't. And this said, it's so many, like three and a half or four and a half Olympic swimming pools. Oh, well, that's helpful. And I was like, it's, and then it said so many basketball courts. I was like, stop with the sports. Stop with the sports. Nothing was helping me. And then I went to this real estate thing and they tried to explain to me and they said, and I was like, and I was so frustrated. I was trying to figure it out. So I went to Google Earth. And I pulled up 4629 Chena Hot Springs Road. That's this place. Because I know I'm losing my, my sling again, am I not? Bring up some batteries for me, please. Because somebody stole my handheld. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I noticed. This is so silly. We need to... Don't put those back in the box. I won't. <laughs> so she does. Am I back? Testing one, two, six. Okay. So I pull up Google Earth. Look at 4629 China Hot Springs Road because I know this property. This property is five acres. That still doesn't help me because I don't understand what an acre is. But I know what the opening of this property is. So as I was zooming in, I noticed on Google Earth, it said that this opening of the property was approximately 60 meters. Ah, I know what a meter is. A meter is three feet approximately, 39 inches. And so 60 times 30 is 180 feet approximately. So 180 feet, that's helpful. How do I figure this out? And so I looked it up, and a half an acre is like 21,700 and something uh, feet. And so you divide the 180 by the 20, or the 27 by the 100. Anyway, bottom line is, from, the, from China Hot Springs Road to the front of my house, 
And from the tree line there to the driveway here is a half an acre, approximately. So from there to there and there to there is the area of land that Jonathan and his armor bearer were able to kill 20 men in a very short period of time. What that says to me is that they were just, they were booking it. Because seriously, if there were 20 men, it wouldn't take very long for those 20 men. Say they were stationed at various positions around the perimeter, and Jonathan and his buddy came up right here. It wouldn't take very long for those 20 guys to all converge on Jonathan and his armor bearer. It would take less than a minute for those 20 guys to get to where they were. So this is a pretty heated battle that's going on with Jonathan and the armor bearer and those 20 Philistines that lost their lives in less than a couple of minutes. It's a pretty intense beating that Jonathan is giving to these guys. And again, that the armor bearer has to go to each each guy, 20 of them, and make sure they're dead. And then look what happens in verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. This is not the Hebrews we're talking about. This is the Philistines. The garrison and even the raiders, okay? Not just the group that was camped, but even the raiders that had gone out to try and capture the hidden guys. And it says, and the earth quaked. Well, see, Jonathan and his armor bearer did that, right? They stopped the ground and made the earthquake. And no, no. And it became a very great panic. So these two guys say, let's go see what we can do against these thousands. And they say, let's test to make sure this is God's will. They determine it is indeed God's will. They go up and do what they can. And in less than five to ten minutes, they have killed 20 men on a less than a half an acre of ground. And then all of a sudden, excuse the expression, all hell breaks loose. But it's not because Jonathan and his armor bearer were killing that many people. It's because God entered. Literally says God caused the earth to quake. And these guys began, if we go on to read further, they began killing each other. Well, that makes sense. But that's exactly what happened. These guys were literally killing each other, brother against brother. And if you go down to verse 23 of this section, it says the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Now, there's a lot more to this story. I could talk about how stupid Saul was. I could talk about Saul's stupid vow that he makes. We're not going to go into any of that this morning because I want to focus on Jonathan. Jonathan was used of God to do something powerful, mighty, and great. And God put it on his heart. And he did what he could. He did the best that he could. I mean, he didn't just knock out one guy. They took on 20 guys in in a half acre area of ground. But they did what they could. 
And it was all based on Jonathan's faith and trust in God. Now, I want to read to us out of the Old Testament that Jonathan would have had access to. Remember I said back at that time, the king was supposed to write out his own copy of the law, which was the first five books of the Old, of the Old Testament. Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is one of the writings that Samuel wrote down for the king to have access to. Now, I cannot tell you that Jonathan read this, but I can tell you that it's part of his heritage. It's part of his culture. If you look in, in Proverbs, it tells them that they're supposed to, as the children are lying down at night, you're supposed to talk to them about the things of God. As you're walking along the way, you're supposed to talk about it with your children. You're supposed to disciple your children in the ways of the Lord. And when they went to their, their synagogues classes, they would have to be schooled and rehearsed in. What did God do for us? And what was the key thing that God did for them? We talked about it last week. In, it was the Exodus. It was the time when God literally split the Red Sea, something no human being could do. And God overcame Egypt's armies and destroyed the armies of Pharaoh through a supernatural uh, parting of the Red Sea, allowing the people to leave, and then finally letting the Red Sea fall back on the army. This would have been rehearsed in the minds of, Jer of Jonathan and the armor bearer and all the other young men who had grown up. And now they were facing one of the greatest and most dire situations in their life. So this was in their brain. Look at verse, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. We're talking about the Exodus, talking about Moses leading the people out from Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now skip down. We just finished verses 7 through 9. Skip down to verses 17 through 19. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? Okay, again, this is, this is the instruction that was being given to the Israelites as they're getting ready to go into the promised land to take over the promised land. So he says to them, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Now skip down to verse 23 and 24. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you. Until you have destroyed them. 
This was a promise that had been made to the people of Israel at the time that they were getting ready to go take the land that God had promised to their forefathers. They didn't have possession of the land. They were being told to go and take possession of the land. And it was on them to do it. It wasn't like anybody else was going to go in and fight the battle. God put it on them to go fight that battle. And God said, I promise you, I promise you, you will succeed. I will be with you. I will do what is necessary. And it literally says that he will shake the ground. And then we see in this story with Joshua and his armor bearer that God indeed shook the very ground and caused a great panic. That's in verse 15. And I would submit to you that the same God who led the people of Israel out of the clutches of Pharaoh and his oppression, the same God who gave the children of Israel the land by making it possible for them to overcome people who were greater than them, who were stronger than them, who were entrenched. And then the same God who literally caused a panic again, a panic in an army of thousands through two people being faithful. Think about that. Two people following what's in their heart, trusting in their God, laying a fleece and saying, is this indeed your will, O God, knowing for sure it is, and then literally throwing caution to the wind and going in against insurmountable odds and doing the best that they could. They took out 20. God took out the rest. But God didn't cause the earthquake until after Jonathan and his armor bearer did their part. And if I'm looking at application in my own life, I don't have enemies that are threatening me. I don't have to fear that somebody's going to come and destroy my home and destroy my homeland. But there are things that seem overwhelming to me at times and have. I'll give you an example. 2003, Labor Day weekend, my wife and I arrived in Alaska Appointed to be the pastor of the church of the Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene. There was nobody here telling me what to do. I had been trained. I I I have degrees from the Bible college. I had been scrutinized by various boards who wanted to make sure that I was of good moral character and that I knew the theology of the church. And I had gone through the training to understand how to administer a church. 
But at my very first district ministerial licensing interview in Alaska, when I had already been here since September, this was now January, February time frame, so it's been like four or five months, I was hot. I was angry, and I was speaking my mind, which was probably a stupid thing to do, but I did it. And they literally, one of the guys said, go get the district superintendent. And the district superintendent came in and joined this group as I was literally ranting at them. And I said, you put me in a place where there are 35 eternal souls. And it's my job to make sure that they hear the truth. And it's my job to make sure that they understand that God loves them. And it's my job to keep this work of God going And not a single one of you in four months have come to check and make sure that I'm doing it right. What if these people go to hell because of me? That's the angst that I felt as a brand new pastor. But the reality was, my job was just to do what I could do the best of my ability and trust that God would do everything else. Where I failed or where I was not strong enough, God would make up the difference. Jonathan was able to kill 20 and his partner were able to kill 20 in just a few minutes and God took out thousands through supernatural means. I'll tell you another time, more recent. April 30th, 2023, our worship team leader and his wife, our children's and youth director, give us six days notice saying that God has called them away. Wow. God, (laughs) help. God, what are we going to do? God, and we as a board met and talked. And do you know, from that time till this, all of our bills have been paid. Literally, I won't get into all the specifics, but the paper's back there on the bulletin board in the foyer if you want to go look at it. Thousands of dollars have come in over the course of the last 60 days. Where? From you guys, but also... There are people who don't even attend this church who have been giving online to this church. What? What? And that's just the money part of it. Do you realize when I first got here, I had an insurance guy say he would not insure this property until we got an engineer to say this building was sound. So I brought an engineer in a Christian man, and he stood in our fellowship hall downstairs and said, quite honestly, Pastor, you just need to get a bulldozer and bulldoze this building down and start again. And I started weeping because I was like, God, there's no way. We don't have that kind of money to be able to rebuild this church. God, what are we going to do? And the reality is it's 20 years later. And the building's still standing. And the congregation's stronger than it was 20 years ago. Do you understand and know, when we went through COVID, 
The board members of this church can tell you, when we went through COVID, we actually grew in number and in our finances. How? I don't know. But God? (laughs) But for God? Time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And it's not just numbers. I'm not just talking about... Seat, but, but butts in the seat or bills in the wallet. I'm not talking about just those things. There have been lives that have been touched for eternity because of this church. Why? Because God has a reason for this church to be in place. And not a single thing that the enemy has tried to do has succeeded because God is still got our back. However... God still expects us to do our part, whatever that is, whether it's 20 or 200 or anything in between, or whether it's literally sitting in your home and praying for those who are physically able to. I don't know. It's God who puts the assignments out. If you look in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that... There are these people who receive this gifting. There are these people who receive this gifting. There are these people who receive this, this, this gifting. And he expects each one of us to do what we need, to, what we are gifted to do, to build up the body. So each one of us has a role to play. Each one of us has something to do. And as long as we do what we're asked to do, God can make up the difference. And I want to bring it even closer into your own life. And I haven't got permission to speak about any individual, so I'm not going to. But you'll know who I'm talking about when I say these these things. We have someone in our own midst who's facing a health situation. Who's gone after test after test after test after test. And there's still no answer. And there's still no treatment plan. And there is still no forward prognosis. But they can just simply say, God, God... I have to put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. Because there's nothing else that I can do. I've done all that I can do. And I know that you've got my back. And every single one of you have a situation like that. Every single one of you. To various degrees. And the question is, number one, are you being faithful to do what you have been tasked with doing? Are you using your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your skills, your money, your time, whatever it is, to bring honor and glory to, the God, to God who, who has created you and to advance his kingdom? If not, don't expect him to make up the difference. Because you're not being faithful to do what you're called to do. But if you are doing what you've been called to do, if you are doing what you've been gifted to do, then you can trust God to fill in the gaps. Because he's able to. He has a plan. Not just for you personally, but for the church, for his kingdom. There are people who need to know the message of holiness that we carry with us. And even if I'm not faithful to do it. And this was the hard thing. I didn't want to say this. But you need to hear this. Jonathan had a father who was also king, who was sitting on his hands, despondent, broken, 
had been chastised by the priest for doing the wrong thing again and again and again. And when they were at their greatest need, there wasn't even a plan being put in place. I mean, if you go and look at that story, which we're not going to have time this morning to do, but if you go and look at that story, Saul starts calling for God's intervention and God's guidance, and then all of a sudden, the tumult raises up, and Saul goes, oh, never mind, never mind. Literally. The priest is getting ready to do whatever the priest was doing to discern the will of God for the people of Israel, and the king literally says, oh, forget it. I don't have time to wait for this. And then goes on. Now, God still brought a, a victorious battle, I mean, a victory over the people. And God, we saw in chapter 20, verse 23, that God did it. But not through King Saul. It was through Jonathan. And that's the part that I didn't want to say. Because I'm in the position of King Saul when it comes to this place. It's my job to put together the plan. It's my job to be the, 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 the guy who gathers everyone around and gets everyone going and giving out the word and discipling and training. But if I'm failing to do what I'm supposed to do because I'm not effective or because I'm being lazy or because I'm... That doesn't negate, that doesn't negate your responsibility to do what God has called you to do. And it may even mean you stepping in to the area that I'm not doing. Just like Jonathan did in leading a battle that his father was unable or unwilling to do. That's a hard word for me as a pastor to have to say, but that's the reality. Because I am not the, the, the end all and do all in this church. My, I have roles, I have jobs, I have responsibilities, but if I'm failing to do it, not that I feel like I am, I think I'm doing a wonderful job. But if I, if I fail to do it, and you see that I'm failing to do it, you have a responsibility to come to me and talk to me about it. You have a responsibility if I refuse to do something, if I still sit on my hands, to go to the leadership of this church and say, hey, we've got to get doing something. If you still feel like the leadership's not doing something, then you need to say, God, what would you have me do? If nothing else, what would you have me do? to see the advancement of your kingdom here in Two Rivers. Because again, I'm going to answer to God for what I do and don't do, but so are you. So are you. So I encourage you this morning. I, this is not a bad sermon. I don't want it to be one where you walk away feeling bad, badly about yourself. I want you to understand, God has called you specifically to this body for some reason. God has given you specific gifts and talents and experiences and life, life practices and, 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 and a, a whole uh, community of people that you are responsible to or, or that you have influence over because God knows what God needs from you to advance the kingdom here in Two Rivers. And each one of you need to walk in that, whatever that is. And if you begun, begin to feel overwhelmed, then turn to your Heavenly Father and say, Ah! Because he's big enough. He's strong enough. He's powerful enough. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He sees the tears that fall. And he hears you when you call. So trust him. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would bless this church and bless these people. 
and help us, God, to walk the path that you've put before us faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on up, Elsie.